0: A big thank you to all the companies that are helping support The Real Rescue Podcast. SR3 Rescue Concepts, Life Saving Systems Corporation, Breeze Eastern, and Flipping Coffee. If you've not sent these companies an email, you absolutely need to. You wanna know why? Well, it's because they all work together. When you email them, they will absolutely set you up for success. All of them have a great working relationship with each other. For helicopter training, contact SR3. For hoist information, contact Breeze Eastern. For rescue equipment, contact LSC. And for a great cup of coffee, contact Flippin Coffee. SR3 Rescue Concepts, because you don't know what you don't know. They are a training company that can help your training program with standards, safety, and maybe just an FAA refresher. They are ready to help your agency keep up to date with current techniques, rules, regulations and equipment. The training staff is awesome! With certified flight instructor pilots and experienced crew members that offer training in rescue, medical, tactical, firefighting and ground operations. SR3 has partnered with Petzl to assist with any personal protective equipment inspection courses. And the highly specific Lazard, which is used for helicopter, cliff, and mountain rescue. In addition to that, if you listen to our episode with Hans and Alvin, episode 10, and they used it on a boat rescue, which was amazing. So contact them today, sr3rescueconcepts.com. That's sr3rescueconcepts.com. Or see them over on Instagram at sr3 rescue. Then we have Life Saving Systems Corporation, who manufactures the world's toughest helicopter rescue gear. From their Triton harness, which is my favorite rescue man harness, to the rescue basket, litters, and of course, the most popular hoist hook and helicopters, the D-Lock. The team at LSC cuts, bends, welds, and machines these products into existence every day. We do our work so you can do yours. LSC Tough Gear for Tough Jobs. Check them out today at lifesavingsystems.com and follow them on Instagram at Rescue Gear. That's at R-E-S-Q-G-E-A-R. Breeze Eastern. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years their commitment to the rescuer operations, and those rescued has not. Contact Breeze today by visiting Breeze-Eastern.com. That's Breeze-Eastern.com. Then we have Flippin' Coffee. At Flippin' Coffee, we roast each batch to perfection to bring a smooth, delicious cup of coffee that you won't find in most other brands. We like to keep it simple, brewing real coffee, using real ingredients for real coffee drinkers. Contact them today at FlippinCoffee.com to order your bag of freshly roasted coffee beans. As a bonus, you type in the promo code, all capital letters, R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q, and you get 10% off. Thank you to all of our sponsors who are helping make this podcast grow. It's much appreciated. It is such an honor and privilege for me to be able to sit down with some of the guys from the beginning of the United States Coast Guard rescue swimmer program. These guys are the ones that really paved the way, and they're the ones that set the standards for the rest of us that came through, and I'm very thankful for that. This guy not only paved the way, but he was one of the first guys that dropped into the water and earned the highest award you could possibly get in a peacetime environment for aviation. It's awesome. This whole story is incredible. I hope you enjoy it, too. So please welcome United States Coast Guard rescue swimmer number 46, Mr. Jeff Tunks. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard rescue swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Real Rescue Podcast. Today, I have an amazing guest with me. I'm super stoked to have him here. United States Coast Guard rescue swimmer number 46, Mr. Jeff Tucks. How are you, Jeff?
1: I'm fine. Thanks for having me today.
0: Are you kidding me? I'm stoked to have you. I really, really am. So, uh, again, thank you so much for coming on. And and you are one of the guys that really paved the way for us, you know, us younger guys the next generation. And it's, it's an honor to have you here. So thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, so if you don't mind, would you just kind of tell everybody who you are, where you're from and, uh, and how you got into Coast Guard and search and rescue in general?
1: Well, um, I live in Fairhope, Alabama right now. I've retired here out of ATC Mobile back in 2007. So I've been retired for a few years now. Nice. I went into the Coast Guard in 77, in, in 1977. Went right, to, Just for uh, the
0: record, I wasn't even born yet. Just,
1: <laughs> like, oh, I don't want to like, throw that out to Thanks. I had another thanks, year.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, come out of boot camp and went to Kodiak on the Coast Guard Cutter Conference. And it was uh, in, in the beginning, of course, I, I did not like it. But as I like a lot of other things uh, in the very end, it was one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. I got to go to Alaska. I got to do some really incredible things, being out on a ship and got to see some, you know, some really unbelievable things, things that you will not see in a normal, normal, in a normal lifetime you won't see. And, you know, I got I learned to appreciate a, a hot cup of coffee out of a styrofoam cup and I learned to appreciate what it's like to be incredibly seasick. (laughs) but uh did my year in kodiak got off the ship and i went to asm school in uh what what was then in lakehurst new jersey It was a navy school yep and uh went there for uh, four months and and even though the navy does a very good job it it really it really wasn't geared for us you really didn't get that much out of it i mean you got a basic information on on uh survival and equipment parachute packing and that was it then went to mobile out of there, ATC Mobile, and uh, pretty much got trained there on all the aspects of of rescue and survival equipment, being an air crewman in the 52 and a drop master in the old 131. And uh, and then one day I walked into the shop and somebody mentioned something about the Rescue Swimmer Program. I had no idea what it was. And apparently it had kind of slid in there from the Marine Electric, which had sank the, the congressional hearing uh, the congressman asked the coast guard why didn't you deploy people in the water the coast Guard said we don't do that of course congress was incredibly surprised that the world's premier life-saving service did not <laughs> deploy people into the water right so hence so the coast guard Rescue Swim program was mandated by congress i'm sure you knew that oh yeah and uh and so uh nobody thought it would take off you started having these few guys that started going to swimmer school and and it just, but nobody really believed it, that the Coast Guard would stick with it. Well, obviously they did. And uh, probably six to eight months after my first, the first time it, I'd, I'd heard about the program, I went down to Pensacola, Florida, went to Rescue swimmer School with two uh, other coaches, Ron Junta and Tom Hurley. Ron Junta, I know that name. Yeah, and who, who was the other guy? Tom Hurley and Ron Junta. Tom Hurley, okay. Yeah, he I, was, I know he the was name. A, yeah, he made chief and eventually was solid, solid dude. And of course, Ron was too. Ron's one of the best guys. So we we made the very best of rescue swimmer school, got through the thing, um, you know, and uh, you know, we started out with 36 guys and out of the, after the thirty out of the 36, 12 graduated. Oh, wow. So it was a, yeah. So it was a tough school. Tom went back to Sitka and Ron went to uh, Cape May to train uh, future rescue swimmers. Oh, that's wow. what he did at Cape May, New Jersey. So that's, that's where the program was in. So I uh, went to Sitka out of there and, um, and then started the rescue swim program up there. Wow. And, that's awesome. And, uh, yeah, i got there in June and we started training and went online in October. And the whole, um, the
0: whole program started in October, right after the, you guys our, graduated the,
1: the Sitka program, I believe oh. East city was the first, first group that went online. Right. And then, um, uh, I can't remember who this maybe Clearwater was. Uh, okay. But anyway, I know that we came somewhere down the line shortly after the rest of the guys did and, um, went online in October and did a lot of training, got everybody ramped up, you know, and, and started, started standing duty in October. And it was really, um, was it not, not, not that, of course, not, not that much had happened. And, and, right. and because we could land in the water with the amphibious helicopter,
0: right.
1: A lot of people were, you know, we still thinking that we could always do platform pickups. And right. um, cause I know in Kodiak about a year before that, a guy named uh, uh, Tom Walters, like this turbo helicopter pilot, you know, had, you know, was, you know, he, he had landed an H3 in like 34, would cease and literally Holy a God. couple of uh, survivors literally washed in to the cabin of the H three and he was able to lift off and so I mean it, it was it was a great risk but he could do it he had proved he could do it but it was not something that yeah. when you were you were just putting everybody in danger yeah. when you would do something like
0: oh that. the whole helicopter as well you man that's and for me looking at a thirty foot wave which which I have been in that's no joke and when you're in a 30 foot wave and you know uh with any, even with an amphibious helicopter that's one of those things you're like ah no i don't want to put it in the water <laughs> well you know you
1: you've got you you know you have to manage your collective so well with the pitch of your rotors yeah you know you you can't let them droop you've got to nope. keep them up for the next wave coming in you can't sit there very long you got you got to be very concerned about your tail
0: and oh, that's yeah. a lot of
1: it of course we lost we've lost coast guard helicopters several of them due to tail strikes so you all in there's the so many things that can ha- yeah and there's so many things that can happen the plane's just so big yeah and uh, you know and you got to be careful with your power you know how much power you actually put into your head and because you know you'll you know over torque the thing and uh, and then you got a new set of problems so. yeah <laughs> But anyway, we went through. and, Of course, uh, we had a few. We had a few cases uh, where guys would, were lowered down to start pumps, uh, a few Metavacs. Uh, but back in those days, you had room to haul the flight surgeon in and, and a, and a Corman, and and of course uh, the command a lot of times would want to do that just for the the in, in, the uh, upgrade in medical treatment.
0: Right.
1: You know. You know. Oh, yeah. You take a doctor. You got a doctor. Of course, they like to get their flight time, like everybody else, <laughs> and the excitement, and yeah. you know. Let, let, let's face it: as you go through life, you learn that 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 challenges, whether you like them or not, are gifts from God, and you have to embrace every challenge, whether you like it or not. Because what's what do you have at the end of the day if you've not embraced those challenges and use those to the full extent to write the story of your life? Oh so I begin crazy. to learn that that while the challenges are not something you particularly want to see, you've got to embrace them because yeah. they weren't they they came they came from something much greater than than we are, you know. So that's something that I learned distinctly, and uh, I, I I tell that to all, I tell that to everybody. Don't don't fight a challenge. Now, if you if you make a bad decision, you got to live with it. right. But a challenge. A challenge, you've got to take it on and you've got to gotta to beat it, gotta conquer it. So um, words of wisdom right there. Beautiful. Well <laughs> well, it's it's I mean, it, it, it's you know, some days I wish I could go back and relive it because I I think I would do a better job, but but I can't. So because you know, knowledge is golden. Yeah. And you know, it's not that somebody didn't try to pass it down. <laughs> I At
0: one point or another, we are all young and dumb. So, I'm just, oh my just, God. <laughs> you know, I think we're invincible. And then all of a sudden you get a reality check. About it. Yeah. By the way, you're not.
1: <laughs> That's right. But as we, as we begin to move on in Sitka, we had a, we had incredibly skilled crew up there, pilots, flight mechanics. I mean, they were some really salty dudes up there and great pilots. Um, you know, guys that were confident. I always wanted to make sure that my pilot felt as good about flying a helicopter as he did about driving a car, you know, wow. and just, yeah. you know, just, you know, and, and they did, they did. They, and even though, and even though the navigational equipment and the ability to have technical support when you fly is much greater now, those guys literally flew by the seats of the pants and Gosh. I mean, they, they were just incredible. They were incredible uh, aviators, pilots, and uh, you know, and that's what they were. They were—they wanted to be known as pilots. That's yeah. what they did. A lot of guys, yeah. We had a lot of direct commission aviators that come out of the army. that were Vietnam guys, and uh, you know, had you know, had flown low and over the over the jungles, and yeah, and, uh, you know, and does you know, did stuff like that. I, I still remember hearing pilots. I have a, the guy that lives right next door to me. Well, like four houses. That's Lon, Lonnie Mixon. Excuse me, Lonnie is the most decorated Coast Guard aviator in history. Uh, he's in the Navy Naval Aviation Museum. Wow, A very incredibly humble guy. And let me tell you something: you read about his cases in Vietnam. He was with he was he was backing up Jack Riddisher when Jack Riddisher was killed in Vietnam, and he was backing him up. They went there together. And so when you talk about the history and the and the kind of aviators that we had, is incredible. But anyway, that's another story. But Anyways, we, as we, um, as we moved into the year, uh, not a lot was going on. And of course, Steve had his case, which gave us a breath of fresh air. Mm -hmm. Um, so we thought that we're going to be here and then rolls around December, December 10th, 1987.
0: (laughs) So then this would be yours. And I would love to, like, I told you this a little bit ago, I, I'm going to read this because this is incredible. Um, And then I would love for you to walk us through it because this this is something else. Uh, Citation to accompany the award of the Distinguished Flying Cross to Jeffrey D. Tunks, Aviation Survival Man, Second Class, United States Coast Guard. Petty Officer Tunks is cited for extraordinary heroism during an aerial flight on the night of December 10th, 1987 as a rescue swimmer on Coast Guard HH3F one four eight six engaged in a perilous rescue of a man and his son from fishing vessel bluebird which sank in a storm tossed waters 10 miles south of sitka alaska the helicopter launched into the blinding snowstorm and severe turbulence to assist a stricken 26-foot fishing vessel floundering in 30-foot seas the two survivors abandoned the vessel As it rolled and went down by the stern. After several unsuccessful hoist attempts in the 70 knot wings, Petty Officer Tunks voluntarily deployed into the frigid, angry sea. Swept back 75 yards from the victim as he was being lowered, Petty Officer Tunks struggled through the towering waves to reach the survivors who were now immobilized by the icy water entering their survival suits. He calmed and reassured them. Then with a Herculean effort, a Herculean effort, what a great <laughs> word. Oh, then with Herculean effort, Petty Officer Tunks was able to pull the survivors away from the sinking vessel, grab the sea-tossed rescue basket after several attempts and roll them into the relatively safety of the basket for hoisting. Later, as Petty Officer Tunks was himself being hoisted, the helicopter was driven backwards Fire to particular violent gusts. Pedestrian Tunks was smashed into the breaking waves, which ripped away his mask and snorkel and injured his back. Pedestrian Tunks' remarkable fortitude and exceptional daring, in spite of imminent potential danger, saved the father and the child from perishing at sea. His courage and devotion to duty are most heartily commended in keeping with the highest traditions of the United States Coast Guard. Holy cow, Jeff. Like thirty-foot seas, seventy-knot winds, boat sinking, two people in the water, and they're ah, oh, come on! It's uh, well, thank it,
1: God for the thank God for a Thesaurus, so that they could come up with those great words. Right,
0: <laughs> Herculean! That's brilliant.
1: Who could figure it?
0: Wow! Well, it was it, it
1: was it was an amazing uh it was an amazing something that I never. You know that I never saw myself being involved with. I was just a guy that came in to stand the duty. Like I was saying, we had been led to believe that the use of a swimmer was something that was going to be so rare that yeah. that it it would it may or it may never happen. Wow. But but when I went into duty that night, um, it was a it was a normal, you know, cold uh, kind of a blustery evening. But no weather had no bad weather been forecast. Matter of fact, we went in. and Of course, it gets dark at three o'clock in December, right. you know, you're, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're not, you're only a couple of weeks away from the shortest day of the year. yeah. And um, so when we, matter of fact, we took off about, I guess, about four thirty and did a night flight or a, a training flight, went out, did a few rescue storm deployments. Did some, you know, remember the back in the old days in the H3, you would practice a, a patch or two, you know, precision sure. approach to a couple yep. of hover you know, do some approaches and then you you come back in and landed and we all got cleaned up. And we and the and the ready H3 that night had been sent to Cordova. So they called in the backup crew and that backup crew consisted of, uh, of John Witten, who was our engineering officer, Greg Brighthop, uh who was a, a, a pilot, you know, one of our pilots, and then Carl Saylor, uh, flight mechanic Mark Milne, the FAAVF avionicsman. So, um went ahead and got back, cleaned up it, cleaned everything up, you know, rinsed off, got my gear back and ready to go and uh, went and ate. And then about, I'd say about 7.15, I was up in the shop doing some work, piddling around, doing something. And the assault alarm goes off, boat sinking, the scary rocks. And uh, that was about, that was about six to eight miles. You know, it was a kind of a treacherous area that we called it very scary rocks. And it was kind of a t- treacherous area there. And a big, a lot of salmon fish going on. Okay. I mean, no, not salmon, but halibut, halibut oh, grounds okay. were in there, you know. Nice. So we went downstairs and put on our gear. And we, you know, as we were walking through flight line, John Witten, the pilot said, hey, Jeff, looks pretty good tonight. We may, we may have to use you. <laughs> I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> all right. Sure. Whatever yeah. you say. You know. Yeah. And as we went out, we got on the plane. I mean, I was I was shocked at the, how the weather had changed. I mean, it was really blowing hard, and and we loaded up and got into the plane and it was, it was wheels in the well pretty quick. Um, and we immediately took off and started hitting snow. Snow so heavy we lost the radar. So yeah. so you know we started kind of. You, know, you got to understand there was back in those days you, you had nowhere near the avionics equipment that you have now you know in order to lead you out on a case you know and we had no backup so we began to struggle our way out and through up through Sitka Sound as we'd gotten this mayday call from from this from this 26-foot fishing vessel Bluebird uh, co-pilot was talking to him and he was telling us his situation which was dire at the time what had happened was is he had anchored himself Jim Blades on the fishing vessel Bluebird with a six-year-old son had anchored in behind St. Lazaria Island which is out at the mouth of Sitka Sound, right off of Mount Edgecombe. If you've ever seen pictures of Sitka, you see the Mount Fuji-looking volcano that sits outside of Sitka, okay, and uh, on a different island. And uh, as we begin to make our way out there, he had anchored in there, and his anchor dragged, and he came down on a on a on a rock and crushed the you know the bottom of his boat. As he said, it was a is he even said to me later, he said it was a it was a sickening feeling because he knew what was up. He had a oh, six year old son there. Yeah. And he and he told me, he said, listen, he said, I didn't I didn't take the boy out there for a joy ride. He helped me, you know, because any kind of help, he said he would steer the boat for me and he would do these different things for me as we were underway. So because he felt a great amount of guilt for having him out there in the first place later on yeah. to find this out. So we began to make our way out there. And we had no radar, so we really couldn't see anything. So we were making our way up up, up along the coastline there and battling these winds, which we had not forecast and were not expecting. As we made our way up there, uh, we asked the the, the skipper to give us a a, a 10 count, you know, so that we could put it up on the directional finder and kind of him have him vector us in there in a way. So we begin to make our way to him as he gave his, you know, 10, nine, eight, seven count to lead us into him. And uh, shortly before he hit two, Carl Saylor sitting in the mechanic seat, say, hey, I got a light over here at two o'clock and then it disappeared." So we continue to make our way up there and the light comes up again. He's basically what he's doing. He's riding the surf. Oh, and wow. yeah. So we begin to make a right hand turn to do a patch to come in to do an approach to the water during the patch the wind catches us and throws us and pushes us about six miles away from his location so there we are like how this happened so we begin to make our way back over to him because this time by this time we'd locked on a location to him and begin to make our way over there to him the the father's in total jim blaze is in distress now because he knows he's going down and he's up on channel 16 and not only is Jim's wife listening to us. What's going on? Oh, but the entire man. town of Sitka is listening to what's going on. He was—he's heavily involved in the church. A real strong Christian man, and so the entire town of Sitka now is listening on Channel 16 as this as this case unfolds. Oh my! So gosh. we're talking to him, and he's hearing everything. His wife's calling him. She's calling the H3. I mean, you know, she's calling us the H6. And of course, she's wanting to know what's going on. We're saying, hey, hold on, we'll let you know when <laughs> we know something. So we begin to get up on him and he and is it being, I mean, you have to understand the dramatics that's going on right now. Her entire life is on this boat. Yeah. The town of Sitka is listening to all this. So it's it's very dramatic. Yeah. So as we come up on scene, we we set up on him, and of course. His boat is riding low, then riding high, riding low, riding high as he rides the waves. So we called down to him and said, listen, we're going to go ahead and drop a basket to you because that's how we do things. That's how so we do it. A yeah. Going to drop a basket to you. Uh, going to hop into it. Get out of there. You're out of there. And at this time, we don't even know that this boy is with him because the Clint had gotten sick and he was la- and he'd laid him up into the front uh, in the, in the cabin of the, of the boat, uh, in in a, in a, in a, in a child size survival suit. Okay. Smart thinking there. Yeah. And he says, okay, so Jim's trying to drive the boat, trying to manipulate into a position that can be hovered. And of course it just ain't happening. And at the same time, large swells are washing it up over the boat. The boat's beginning to settle now a little bit. And he gets Clint out finally, but still, we still don't know because we're at such a high altitude, you really can't see a whole lot what's going on.
0: Right.
1: So we start trying to, to hoist him off and it's just not working. You know, we just, we're trying to, and as we move in to make a hoist, a gust of wind catches us and starts throwing us back, pushing us all the way back. Wow. And we're fighting this. But I believe what had happened in other cases, the belly of the H3 gets up a little bit and those strong winds coming over the mountain there get up under us and just start pushing us back. Well, the pilots are pulling full collective, got the cyclic full forward, and it ain't doing nothing. We're still flying backward. It's somewhere, it estimated somewhere around 50 knots. The pilots looked at each other and said, this is it. We thought we were going in. I just I was hanging on for dear life and I was beginning to think, how am I gonna get out of this thing? That's, it was already crossed my mind. The, the bluebird was, I forgot all about the bluebird. I was wanting to know which one I was gonna go out of and how I was gonna get out of the thing. About oh, that time, wow. John Whitten turn, tells Carl Saylor to sit down. Well, caller Carl is sitting down. John felt this presence leaning over his shoulder so strongly that he told Carl to turn around and sit down. Carl said, I am sitting down. And John said, well, somebody's up here. And Carl said, well, it ain't me. About that time, we stopped going backward, and the plane settled and lifted up. I, I kid you not.
0: All right, you An just gave me chills moment. right there. and Unbelievable and I'm moment. Like,
1: unbelievable moment. Wow. It, was a, it was the most unbelievable thing that we'd ever felt in our lives. The plane literally stopped, John, without looking back, tells Carl to sit down. Carl is sit down, you know, and yet that happened. So right then, I'm beginning to realize that this is something much bigger than we are. And I'm beginning to, and, I, and, and you know, and it, was, it, was, it was a very emotional moment for us all. So we begin to move back in and try to pick them up. So we moved back in a couple more times, and then, of course, uh, you know, with the motion of the of the of the boat, him him having such a difficult time, he can't he can't make any headway, and a couple of times, the superstructure of the aircraft almost, you know, the the bottom of the aircraft almost impacts the, the superstructure of the boat. So, wow. after a few minutes, John says, "This ain't happening." He Said they're gonna to have to get off, they're gonna to have to go in the water. They're gonna get off the boat and go in the water. So Greg calls down and tells the, the Jim Blaze listen, we're not going to be able to get you off this boat. You're gonna to have to go into the water. So he he goes, picks up his son. He has he he puts he Jim puts on his survival suit. He had it on his up to his waist. He goes ahead, puts on his survival suit. But as, as I'm sure as you've inspected, many imperial survival suits, you realize that in order to get the thing pulled on, you have to have that wooden toggle that you place in between your thumbs that you can work it up to your neck. Well, he had had the suit inspected, and they had removed the wooden toggle and had not replaced it. So he could not get his survival suit all the way up. But without reservation, he clips Clint in, he walks over to the back of the boat and jumps in. And of course, he's having a hard time pushing his way away from the from the uh, from the from the boat itself. So we go in and we continue to try to make these vessel recoveries. But with the but you know we're in a hover. We're battling 70, 80 knot winds. The airspeed indicator is showing 78 miles an hour as in a hover. So we're battling these tremendous way tremendous winds. The wave heights are big. We're just really having all kinds of problems here right now. So we're going to we try to make a couple of recoveries. John says, Hey, we're not going to get them out of it. So he says, Hey, Jeff, he said, the only way we're going to get these people out of here is if you go in, are, are you willing to do this? Because we had never done this before. Right. And I, of and course, you know, I had reservations. I said, but could I, I, there was no way I could possibly turn this thing down. Yeah. Number one, you got people in the water number two and I hate the life of the rescue swimmer program did, depended on this yeah it really did I mean it really did it was I, I, I there was no way I could de- decline deployment there was no way not a chance I mean no, I'm no I, I can't I, there, there's not one guy in the shop that would have that in my shop or any any guy that had gone yeah. through the program would have declined it
0: Nope. That's not what, a single one not a single one there is so, so much on no, the line at that moment in time it's it, exactly and, the stuff that is going through your head right now i i i can't even fathom it's hey let me tell you something it was at this moment
1: later on that i realized that god doesn't call the qualified he qualifies the call so i mean i mean i mean here i was but i had been placed in this position for i don't know but i was but and I'm not trying to make it sound ho- ho- heroic here. I was, I was scared. I really was. I was, I was scared though. If, I don't care if I'd have been, if it'd been anything, I'd have been nervous. Yeah. So I said, sure, let's go. So I moved to the door, hooks up, done it, done it. No telling how many times, hook up on the chest, you know, belts coming comes off, thumbs up come up out of the door, I'm going down and I can see Jim and Clint down below me. And I'm thinking, okay, this is going pretty good. You know, well, as I, as I, as I'm getting down, I can, I can begin to feel the wind. I mean, I can feel the, the weather and everything and the storm and, and we're high. We're, I don't know, Jim, uh, uh, John has really climbed to a serious altitude of, I know, at least a hundred feet. So oh. as I'm going down, another blast of wind. Right before I get ready to touch the water, a wind catches us and starts dragging us. And I'm like, what's going on here as I'm hitting the tops of these waves, bouncing off of them. Well, after a few minutes or well, I'd say seconds, I just drop out of the swing. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm where I'm at, you know? So I, I pop up out of the water, give the okay sign, and I start looking around and Jim and Clint are nowhere to be seen. So I'm thinking, so I'm, I start, as you're taught in Rancho East School, I'm yelling for them, but nothing will come out. Nothing will come out. You've got the, you've got the noise of the H3 just roaring up above us. Yeah. The, of course, the, and the flood hovers are just got the entire area lit up, but I can't see them anywhere. You have these huge mountains of greenish blue water that are rising up. I'm not kidding you, man. It was It was something I could have never imagined before being in something like that cold snow and I'm like what am I doing here you know <laughs> oh this is crazy you know but then I, I look up at the pilot and they had backed off and they saw my predicament and I just simply put out my hands and said I don't know where they're at and and this nose of the helicopter fl- slung over at about their two o'clock position I still couldn't see anything but I said, well, so I began to follow that light. So, and it was, I'd say at least the length of a football field. So I began to swim towards them. And I mean, I would go up over one wave and swim down the side of another. go up yeah. over one wave and swim down the side of the other. But never taking my hit, hit eyes off of the light. Always, and I just used my fins. You know, I just, I wasn't trying to do a crawl or anything. I was just, yeah. I was finning my whole way there, kicking and as, I, and as I came up on the top of one wave, I saw for a split second a flash of reflective tape. So I went back into the next wave, came up and there they were. So I swam nice. up behind them and, uh, and, and came, came up behind them and literally grabbed them, spun them around, looked into Jim's face and I saw the, 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 the young boy there, which really uh, shocked me. And he had this, he was, the little boy was totally at peace his father had told him what was going on, and his father had explained to him what could happen. So the little boy was, these were, these were, these were, these people were, were Christians, they believed in God, and they believed that you, you can do so much for your life, but really it's it is what it is. And you get these challenges, as you go through life, and you defeat them the best way you can. So I grabbed him and I turned him around. I saw the young boy, and Jim just kind of looked at me and he said, you think they're going to be able to get us out of here? And I said, we do this shit all the time. Yes. yes. <laughs> Just like the, it was the only thing I knew how to say because we would, you know, have a good bunch of guys cut up. And yeah. so I'm sure somewhere I'd heard that, but <laughs> trying to reassure him that no big deal Yeah, every day, you know? So anyway, as we, so I told him, I said, we're going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to I'm going to grab I'm going to they're going to move him with the basket. I'm going to grab you, I'm going to grab the basket and I'm just going to roll you into it. As soon as you get in the basket, tuck yourself down and hang on. <clears throat> he said okay. So, they move so I give him the thumbs up for pickup. I think <laughs> I don't even know what I was doing. I don't I don't I don't believe for 1 second I pulled out the light and raised I don't believe I did that. I mean, I just didn't even though training, even though everything that I had done had gone right along with the training that we'd been doing for, for the year, yeah. it really was it, was. it was so, I mean, you're so, it was so burned into you, training is. You know, training is the most important thing we do. There 100% can never be in training. So, um, so they moved in. They began to move in for the pickup, and they would get the basket close, but then it would just shoot out of my hand. I couldn't, I couldn't hold on to it. Normally like you grab the basket, push the survivors in there, give the thumbs up. They go, it wasn't happening. The plane was all over us. He would move over the top of us. He would move to the left of us. He would move to the right of us. He was all over the place and it wasn't his fault. He was doing the best he could to fly it. Yeah. So they moved in three or four times. They would back off and try to move in and, re, and restart the whole thing again. We had, bon- we had only been out there maybe an hour and all this had happened within an hour. So after about the fourth attempt, John says to the crew, he said, listen, he said, what are you guys thinking about throwing these guys out of rafting? Because this ain't happening. Holy cow. He said, he said, he said, if we stay here and we crash, these guys are going to die and we're going to die and we have nobody come by and get us. There was no backup. By this time, too, the air station had already thought we'd gone in because they had not had any radio contact with us because... Greg Breithaupt was so busy backing John up on the controls that he'd gone off the radios. So we hadn't had any contact with the air station. And so they had already felt that we'd gone in. So, so the crew never said a word, didn't say a word. John says, okay. He said, but you guys, you know, we're already on the edge here. He said, we've been on the edge for quite a while here. He said, so are you sure? And nobody said a word. So John said, okay, let's give it another shot. So they moved in and This time they get the basket just long enough to where the, I can put, I push the basket down, brought the survivors in push down their legs. And Carl is holding the basket there. And I'm like, what's he doing? I keep giving the thumbs up and he's holding the basket. Carl had wanted me to get into the basket thinking that one less hoist. Well, to be honest with you, how many times did you ever train where you got in the basket too? Right. Never. No, never. No. And I mean, it wasn't anything heroic I had done. I had just, it never entered my mind. And I will say one thing, the weight could have been a factor. Putting another, probably I, at that time, I probably would have pulled a good 200, oh, well over, well over 200 pounds with my weight plus the other two. Yeah. So I, I held the basket there, kept giving him the thumbs up. And finally, man, the basket just <clears throat> shoots, out of the, shoots out of the water. It's swinging wildly. And they pretty much, they, he and Mark are both able to, to manage the basket. So we, they get it into the aircraft, literally dump them out into the, into the thing and into the, you know, floor of the helicopter, get the basket out and they go down for me. <clears throat> well, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good right now. I'm like, okay, this is done. And I feel good about where I'm in my position. I feel like, okay, I can handle this. I'm here for a while. So they drop the basket to me and I go ahead and I swim to the basket. You know, you know how quick quick, we were able to get into the basket with your fins, and we'd done it so many times, I mean, I just, I was in the basket in a second, grabbed on, hung on, and sat there, waited, excuse me, well, there was a, there was a pause for a second, and I sit there, and I'm waiting, I look up, and there's no helicopter above, and then I shoot out of the water, what had happened was, was we'd been hit by another gust of wind, he was going back, Carl was paying out slack and I was about at least a hundred yards out in front of the aircraft. Oh, my Carl gosh. begins to pull slack. John's pulling collector cause he doesn't want to go back into the water. I'm coming up, I come off the top of a wave and I slam into a wave, something I had not prepared for. I mean, it was unbelievable. John said there was a mass. it was a massive explosion of water. <laughs> then I come out of that one and I hit another one. And at that time, John said, I thought that we had really killed you. And I thought that the cable had probably broken with that one. Wow. And then I don't remember. I hit a third wave, but I don't remember that one. Well, then the 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 basket broke free and I began to swing literally wildly. Because when you have that much cable paid out, you yeah. realize that you know you're you're susceptible to slamming into the back of that helicopter to the sponsons, to anything. But Carl and Mike, uh, Carl and Mark got up there and really struggled with the cable and held it, held it strong, you know, held it firmly until they were able to get it up in the aircraft. Get it up in the aircraft, pull me in, dump <laughs> me out, and I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I mean, it had ripped, but I'd hit so hard it ripped the mask and snorkel off my head. I had oh. the snorkel in my mouth, yeah. my mask on my head, and it took it off, and I don't even remember it. And you know, when you had your snorkel in your mouth, you were usually you had your teeth.
0: Yeah, you're biting, biting it. it. Biting it. Yeah, biting biting the little the bite guards or yeah, what it, yeah, yeah, whatever they yeah the yeah. Anyway, it,
1: it it ripped it off my head, and I I didn't even know that. I mean, because when I when I got in the plane, I just I'm like, where's that thing? <laughs> <laughs> it was gone. And then I, I went over and sit down, and I got this incredible sense of nausea, and I and I walked over to the to the to the little garbage can we can't we have on the aircraft, and I project I'll vomited two, two times. I mean, I'd never done that before in my life. And then I was fine. And the only thing I can think of, it was must have been an adrenaline push or something that caused me to get so sick. So we lift off and come back in and land. And of course, we're also euphoric to be back in. Of course, on our way back in, they call and say, hey, 8-6 eight, eight, is heading back. We got, you know, both, both people, you know, got both people on board. And it was just a wonderful evening. And as we landed, we got back. We just come around the front of the aircraft. And <laughs> we just couldn't believe what had just happened. It was wow. really the most miraculous thing. And let me tell you something. We were, not, we were not alone. We were not alone that night. There was a reason we were out there there was, it was a challenge. It was a challenge and we met it and it was a wonderful event. And, and then that's, that's it. So, and as as I go back on it. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Just wow. So it was a great, it was a great case, but I will tell you, man, the skill, the skill that our people have, you know, I was new but the training had been invaluable to me the every day going out and getting in the water every day, flight after flight after flight. Cause back in those days, we only had five or six guys in the shop. So yeah. we were taking all the flights. And of course, a duty day ate up at two guys, right? You know, you know, you know, a duty day because you had a, an off going guy and an oncoming guy, So that left yeah. you usually with only four guys. It wasn't uncommon having a guy ISIQ, have a guy on leave. Yeah. So you were really flying a lot.
0: Every, and, almost every other day oh, or every exactly. third day, for sure. Exactly. And so yeah.
1: it was so repetitive. And so in, in some ways, it could have hurt me that I did not get in the basket. But, you know, man, there just wasn't, there wasn't room. It just wasn't room in there. And then also with Clint sitting on Jim's chest and also Jim's suit was full of water. When I came up on him, his teeth were chattering because, you know, it was cold. The Water yeah. temperatures, you know, it was at best high 30s. Yeah. And uh, so that, my friend, was a night of the bluebird. (laughs) what a case. What a story. It was a great story. Great. Wow. You know, um, and then, you know, things like that, you, you, you can't you can't live off of them, but they certainly play something inside you. Yeah. You know, to let you know at one point in time, something you made a difference. Yeah. You know, you did. You made a difference. And and it helped the program immensely. And I'm not kidding you, man. Right after that, Joe Rock had a case off Cape Cod, DFC. <clears throat> and then they just started out of, out of nowhere. They just started happening. it wasn't because of me. It's just because. Uh, you know, it just it, it, the program began to quickly evolve. And uh, all the garbage that we used to catch, you know, this, that, and the other was gone. And the program, I think then at that point was there to stay. And we were recognized, you know, we had, we, a lot, you know, got some tremendous recognition, got to go places and do things and sing the praises of the, of the program. And, you know, so anyway.
0: And and I'm going to throw this out there. You had mentioned this offline a little bit ago, but I'm going to put it out there for everybody else. you, are the very first rescue swimmer in the Coast Guard to receive the Distinguished Flying Cross. And that is awesome. Cause that yeah, it was paved the way yeah. for all the rest of us. I mean, you know, and I'll be honest with you, I feel like that
1: that anybody in, in our shop would have been more than capable to compete that they were all skilled, strong uh, guys. They were. I mean, yes. nobody was getting through that hellhole Pensacola. If you weren't, if you didn't have something to, it was, I mean, we referred to it as pre Marecki. You know, who Lee Marecki was. Lee Marecki yes. was the one that was killed down there, and right. we referred. So we had gone through this, this hell hole of a of a training. So, <laughs> so we'd all felt like this bit of, of how much how much more can you do to us? Yeah. Things. So, um, but you know, I'll tell you, it, it it the whole crew. It's 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 it's, it's enabled, it, it gave the Coast Guard Coast Guard aviation. Such such an incredible tool to use, and to make us look like what everybody thought we were.
0: Yeah. They, I thought they had, when I came in the Coast Guard, I thought they had these guys. Yeah. You know. So and you I, turned into that guy, and, <laughs> and allowed the rest of us to follow in your footsteps.
1: But you know, but it was um, a, anytime you're a, anytime you're the first of something, it can either be great, yeah, or it can be great. <laughs> Being the first isn't always a, yeah. a something. So anyway, so it was a that's that was the case of the bluebird, and you know, and, and I didn't even know about. I, I'll be honest with you, I didn't know about awards or DFCs or this or that or anything like that. So that was never in my mind. I didn't know you got six points for the service wide for a DFC. I'm like, <laughs> what does that mean? But when I got back, that's what some of the guys were telling me. Like, well, hey, yeah, you're going to get a DFC out of this. You can
0: get six points for the service wide. And I'm like what yeah (laughs) man that is incredible uh you made a statement there and i i've said it multiple times i'm going to reiterate it again every one of us that are qualified it just so happens the alarm went off and you were the guy standing duty every one of us could do it and i and i truly believe that statement um every rescue swimmer even now guys that are You know, I think they're at one thousand nineteen off the top of my head right now. Every one of them, you know, if they if the alarm went off today to that case, they would go do it and they would be able and willing to go do it. So. But you
1: absolutely without 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 hesitation. Yeah. I mean, that's what they're called for. Right. And um, that's what they do. And I have no doubt that every one of them would do it. And I'm going to tell you something else. The equipment changes that they've made and moved, and the Coast Guard <laughs> has moved on and developed their own equipment has, has been—I mean, it's been a game changer. Going Very from the, going from the, the HBU eleven harness, from the SAR one to the we call them hinder, hinder sponges, those the Henderson dry suits we used, we worked I so <laughs> I came out of rescue first school. All we had were wetsuits. I got I got qualified in Sitka in a wetsuit. I
0: mean, it was like a seven suits. mil.
1: I hope it was at least the same so it was mil. a seven. It was a five five mil. <laughs> and the thing about it was, was that when, when I went to rescue swimmer school, I weighed 170 pounds. When I came out of rescue swimmer school, I lost 22 pounds. Holy so, uh, so and when they measured you for these wetsuits, they measured you in like week two and a half. So, I'd lost all this weight. <laughs> so, they put these things on there and they measure and they're tight as heck anyway. So by the time I get to Sitka, I put some of that weight back on and putting that weight and putting that wetsuit on would nearly give you a stroke. I'm not kidding you. I mean, it was like we were, we were soaking ourselves in talcum powder, trying to get those things on. So so thank thank oh. God they they gave us. They finally relinquished and gave us dry suits. And of course, then they didn't give us dry suits with release zippers. So so you go out there and you're like. You, you can't take a whiz. No. You know, if you drink a couple of cup of coffee and you're on a two or three hour flight, you're like, oh my God, what am I going to do here? Because to get all that stuff off and then, you know, you know you know the whole, oh, you, yeah. the whole yeah. you know, you know the whole story. I mean, my gosh. So thank God we eventually got released. It was small things like that. Yeah. The TRISAR. You remember, when we, I don't know, were you there when we had to have the, uh, what was it called? was a lifting skirt that you would put on for direct deployments
0: so no uh that was before my time i came in and we had the uh i wore a tri-sock that was my first harness and then we moved to the triton which i love that harness so good job lsc with that one uh but prior to that you guys had that stuff that you guys had pretty much weaned out you're like yeah that doesn't work yeah that doesn't work yeah that doesn't work and that's what moved us to where I was well I had,
1: I had I had gone to I had gone over to NASA to work with um, with the Air Force with NASA on on what they what, what was supposed to be the assured crew recovery vehicle from NASA which would launch astronauts back from the space station in the event of emergency so we went over to Texas A&;M and um, we worked with PJs out of the Air Force and nice. recovering astronauts they, what they had done is they had brought in a capsule, They put it in this enormous wave pool where they test oil rigs. And so, me and three other rescue swimmers went over there and we would deploy into the water, swim up to this castle. They were making waves in this wave pool like you wouldn't believe. And we would climb up on this castle capsule and extract these astronauts out of this castle, out of this capsule into litters, all kinds of things, lifting straps. And I knew then we had to have better equipment. Now, we, we, ours, is, ours was just as good, if not better, than the PJs yeah. for, for water stuff. But we needed better harnesses and stuff like that. And it was just time to move on. Now, I will say one thing that the, the uh, diver's mask that we used, I thought was fine. Yep. Our, our super rocket fins, I always loved those. We still use but,
0: them.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but the other stuff had, had to make a change. And I'll, I'll say another thing is Daryl Jolakoska? Yeah. His, his push for the advanced rescue swimmer school. Brilliant. Direct deployment. Yep. I mean, what would we have done dur- during Katrina if we had not had direct, direct deployment? Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, Daryl Jolakoska, yeah. that was his baby. And, and Daryl was, Daryl was a mover and shaker. If you knew Daryl back in his younger years, you would have known that he was perfect when he came in at the time he did. He was a, he was a politician. He knew how to talk to people. He knew how to get things done. He didn't worry about the buck. If he needed money for this, he would, he went and got the money. So Daryl was really the right man at the right, right time for all that. He did a lot of great things for the program. He was, I mean, he made a lot of positive things happen, that a lot of guys benefit from today.
0: Nice man. Like I said, I mean, you guys really paved the way for us and, and all I can hope for is that my, our generation that was in there, uh, we help the guys that are that are doing the job now. And I, I think we have um, because all the gear we tested and stuff as well. Just I mean the rescue swimmer program in the Coast Guard right now is is top notch. I mean they they do a very good job with what they do. So, well,
1: oh, I mean the the, the, the what we've learned yeah. is incredible. You know the learning curve that we started out with. And where we came from, and yeah. you know the and, and the school now is what I understand. It's a bear. Yeah, it's a long, growing out affair. <laughs> it's not for the faint of heart. It's, yeah. it's a it's a real bear. Yeah. But hey, uh, you know if that's not every. You know everybody might, everybody may want to do it, whether yeah. but nobody not everybody can do it. Right. And there's a big difference there, you know. So agreed. Like I tell you, man, um, uh, we're just really we're really. really I was very fortunate to be a part of this, something that I never asked to do, never wanted to do. I was told I had to go. Uh, I, I remember I had this chief named Pat Weaver and he's just a good old boy. And uh, he said to me, he said, Hey, uh, you want to go to that uh, rescue swimmer school down there? And I said,
0: well, what is it?
1: <laughs> he said, Oh, you know how the Navy is. It's few expletives. I uh-huh. said, and I said, uh, uh-huh. and I said uh, all right. I said, uh, he said, you go down there at the navy and play with them boys? They, they don't. You know, navy, they don't do a whole lot. <laughs> I said, well, all right. I said, I got to do it anyway, right? And he's like, that's right. You got to do it anyway. So I said, well, I might as well get it over with. So I went down there for the first first week. I thought I was going to die. I, they would kill us. There were so many guys that dropped out in the first week that they sent me back to my unit for two weeks. So, so and, and we were gonna go with the next class coming in. So I made sure those two weeks that I went to the pool, tried to do everything I could to get myself more prepared and for the, for the in, in two weeks to go back. Yeah. So that saved me having that two weeks back.
0: So, anyway. <laughs> incredible. Jeff, that is incredible, uh, everything about it. Um, I, I don't wanna take you away from this story But I I have to move on a little bit, and I have to ask you because you have another great case out of Sitka uh, that didn't come with any awards. And this is one of the things that I talk about uh, quite a bit here in this podcast is, you know, we go out because we want to. This is what we do. We're not looking for awards. And this is one of those cases where you went out and it was, you know, you come back as a crew. Hey, good job, fellas. Let's go clean up the gear. Let's get it ready for the next one. Yeah, this was a this was
1: about 50 miles south of Sitka in a place called Cameron Pass, and uh, we had just come in for just come in and uh, get my gear ready to go, joking with the fellas, and SAR alarm goes off. Grab the gear, ran out to the plane, and I could tell that this time there was a little bit more not that there wasn't always, uh, you know, urgency in yep. the case, but went on, got fired up. I mean, we were wheels in the well in no time. And, and the pilots was telling us, we'll brief you on the way down there. So on the way down though, they said, Hey, we got, and I'm like, man, we're so dramatic. We were a hundred feet off the water, screaming down to this place, nose down, balls to the wall, you know, and I'm thinking, what is <laughs> if, if, if only I'd had some music, you know, yeah. you know? and so we're <laughs> screaming going down through there. And, uh, Putting on my gear, have no idea what's going on. They said, "Okay, we got a boat that's that's uh, partially disabled. The, the they had hit some heavy seas, and the anchor line had washed over the front of the of the bow of the air of the boat had gone back and wrapped in the screws, and oh, they had lost steerage. Wow. So and they were washing into the rocks. There was a couple. There was another vessel on scene, but they weren't able to really assist that much. So we're screaming down there. Uh, takes us not long. I think we're 50 miles south of Sitka. So we're screaming down there, get there, do a heavy left pedal turn as we sweep in. There and you can see the, the, there's, a, there's a bay there, but you can see debris everywhere. The boat had gone down and there's debris everywhere. I've never seen anything like it. Coolers, everything you can imagine. Fishing nets, just all wow. kind of garbage in the water, washed up on the shoreline there. And so we get there and, and out in front of us, uh, this everything happened so fast. Out in front of us there was an. What had happened is this: this old man had got out, had got, had gone down in a dinghy, and they had thrown him a line, and he was trying to pull the boat away from the shoreline. Well, it didn't work, and the boat went into the shoreline anyway and flipped over the dinghy. So I looked out, and there's this old man hanging on to the back of this dinghy. He's 82 years old. I didn't know it at the time. He's an old man, no survival suit, just hanging on, barely hanging. On. And so we pull in, I immediately go to the door of the aircraft, free to fall, deploy out, swim and get him, grab him, talk to him for just a second. He's, of course, he's extremely, incredibly hypothermic, but I get him, bring him over and put him into the basket and they hoist him up. The same time they air taxi over and one guy had been able to get to the land, to a, a small island, air taxi over and get him, pick him back up come over air taxi taxi back and pick me up, get me back up. Then we noticed that the fishing vessel Sephora had been there to assist and they were down on deck and they were giving CPR to this guy. What had happened was with the CO of the boat, the captain of the boat had gotten his survival suit halfway on and as the Sephora threw him a line, he put the line around him, but they couldn't change directions or slow down because they were going into the rocks themselves. So they, so he went down the, the suit worked like an anchor to him and drug oh, him down. No. So by the time they were able to get him on the board, the vessel, I think he'd, he'd expired. So we pull into a hover and we can't get over to the Sephora. So I, I deploy in, swim to the boat, get on board to the boat, get up and look at him. And I realize it's Jim Trout. The Jim Trout had been this guy that lived up three houses above me. And I would go running in the morning or running in the afternoon. I'd go for a run. And when I'd come by, a lot of days I would see him out there and we would briefly speak. I never really got to know him as friends or anything, but he knew me from when I would run. And I would know him from being out in the yard. I'd see him and his wife out there doing things. And I, I couldn't have been more shocked if I'd woke up and my face had been sewn to the carpet is when I looked at, the, at him. And of course, by this time, uh, they were given he, he, they, the crew was performing CPR, and I, and I stood there and just stared at him for a second, and I said, "Okay, guys, we got to get him off this thing. We're not doing him any good here." So the crew, the boat, uh, helped me pull him, and we put him into a dinghy, and I jumped back in the water, and the guy, and there was a guy in the dinghy with him who kept trying to do chest compressions on yeah. him as best he could, yeah, keep the circulation alive because it'd been quite a while and of course the circulation is incredibly important so I I towed so the H3 landed over in the water a good ways away and I towed the dinghy to the platform as they landed in the water and they put out the platform the crew you know this Jim was a big man he was probably 6'2 6'3 a good 250 pounds drug him into the cabin and um, of course we got him situated uh, the rest of the, like the ABI began to do mouth to mouth. I came in, ripped my gear and start doing chest compressions, and we do chest compressions and CPR all the way back. But he had, what um, uh, I think it was, a deviated trachea, a collapsed lung, so we were really doing him no good. And his his eyes were pretty much fixed, pupils yeah. were fixed, yeah, and I knew he was pretty much dead. But the fact that uh, it hit so close to home that he had that he, he was somebody that it's just this old man that, that every day I'd go running or something and when I was seeing I'd wave at him and we'd we'd throw some kind of comment back you know at each other he'd like I can't believe you're out here doing this again or <laughs> I'm like hey you going out today or I knew he had a boat yeah so so I thought that was really it was a really a unique case in its own way that yeah. um, you know it, it 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 was a great case Yeah. And we rescued two people, you know.
0: Yeah. But uh, but anyway, I thought that was a really funny case. It's one of those cases just stay in your mind.
1: It was so, it was so, so the dramatics, it was was exactly what I thought it would have looked like on a movie. (laughs) Screaming down the shoreline, (laughs) everybody's hair on fire, radios are crackling, you know, it was, it was like, I was looking around, I'm thinking, man, this is, this is what it's like, you know, even though I'd already (laughs) been on the bluebird, but that seemed more manageable, you know, more manageable. It's like, okay, I could actually, I could actually take in the moment without being so sensor overload from the bluebird. So, but anyway, incredible,
0: incredible.
1: And so from there, you know, I I transferred out and went to the stand team after that. So, and, and that was, I guess it, even though I was a regular Joe, I guess he thought that I'd learned enough on the bluebird that I might could help other people. So, <laughs> you know, and not even, when I went to the stand team, not even, not all units were actually even qualified. We still had several air stations that had not been brought up online. Yeah. And so we, you know, we had, it was, we, we went ahead and started getting those up online and, and, you know, we still had, you know, at like 25 air stations that were probably only half of them were rescue were capable at the
0: time. Wow. jeez, Jeff. Those are incredible. Incredible. I actually I I, you know, you you have such an amazing career. I I do want to touch on one more. And I'm going to. You know what? I'm going to read it. Is that is that is that okay if I read this one, too? Sure. Yeah. All right. So this is uh, so you've advanced now as a senior chief. Um, Where are you stationed? Were you down in uh, New Orleans when this happened? No,
1: I've been stationed in New Orleans and I was really fortunate because I knew the city. Okay. I've been stationed in New Orleans and from New Orleans I went to um, I went to Mobile and I was the okay. chief in the shop there in Mobile. And when I made senior chief, I continued to shop there. And then I went over to what was prime unit after okay. I left the shop because I was I was getting closer to retirement. I was 49 years old. I was yep. getting closer to retirement. So you know I was I was gonna do what I could just to, to stay in and plan my Coast Guard afterlife. Yeah. So Excellent. I went into I stayed in so I went to prime unit. And of course, Katrina hit with such ferocity. Yes. And such an impact all along the Gulf Coast that um, when I came in that next morning, they said to me, said, Hey man, we need bodies. Are you because I I was a rescue swimmer in up until the day I retired. Yeah. I had to have shoulder surgery, but up until the day I retired, I was a qualified rescue swimmer, 30 years. You know, I well, only 23 as a swimmer because we didn't have them the first seven years. So <laughs>
0: You know what? You're a swimmer for life. That's you're still a swimmer. Oh, yeah, what are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> whatever. So well, well, um, this one. So you're at Aussie Prime, and they mm-hmm. call you back. So for all the listeners out there, this is um, this is Hurricane Katrina that rolled through New Orleans, mm-hmm. um, and and here's the write up for you: citation um, to accompany the award of the Air Medal to Aviation Survival Technician, Senior Chief. Jeffrey D. Tunks, United States Coast Guard. Senior Chief Petty Officer Tunks is cited for meritorious achievement in aerial flight from 30 August 2005 to 05 September 2005 while serving as rescue swimmer aboard HH-60 and HH-65 helicopters during Hurricane Katrina rescue operations. Demonstrating the exemplary aeronautical skill and superative physical stamina Senior Chiefs Tunks participated in rescue missions for 26 flight hours in urban disaster environment. On 30 August, Senior Chiefs Tunks deployed to a Baptist Memorial Hospital where more than 100 elderly patients required immediate evacuation. Taking charge of the situation from per- and performing triage to determine the most critical patients for transport and operating hospitals, Senior Chief Tunks personally moved 17 patients, including one intubated patient he kept alive for the entire 35 minutes of flight by administering oxygen and rescue breathing. Next, he saved 32 lives conducting rooftop basket hoists from flooded home in the ninth Ward. During the last hoist, the flight mechanic suffered an intercom failure. Without hesitation, Senior Chief Tunk stepped in, verbalizing the aircraft conning commands to safely complete the rescues. You took over conning for the hoist operator to make sure that, so everything he was doing, you were just reiterating to the pilots. That's awesome. The next day, he located an elderly woman by cutting a hole in her roof who was rendered too weak to climb out of the access in absence of appropriate, no known procedure. And with expert coordination with the flight mechanic, senior chief Tunks innovated, used a quick drop to winch this survivor up the, out of the attic. So out of the hole in the attic to the rooftop, where then you could safely get recovered to the helicopter. Later, he conducted a direct deployment rescues to vertical access to three houses and two apartment complexes, consistently negotiating obstacles and debris and swinging underneath the overhangs of the balconies and windows. Senior Chief Tunk's connected the survivors out of sight of the helicopter. Taking a leap of faith, he was forced to blindly trust the flight mechanic to begin hoisting as soon as it swung from the access while physically grasping the survivors. With extra... With extraordinary stamina and physical strength, he repeated the dangerous and stressful maneuvers 24 more times. Senior Chief Tunk's actions, skills were instrumental in saving 90 lives. His courage, judgment, and devotion to duty are most heartily commended in keeping with the highest traditions of the United States Coast Guard. Wow. You know, I... I was not in Hurricane Katrina. I did not go down. Um, you and I talk about that a little bit. I was, I was in Humboldt Bay at the time, and we did still need guys at the air stations. So about three quarters of the swimmers went to New Orleans, and then the rest of us kind of hung around at our air stations. And the stories that everybody talks about out of New Orleans and Hurricane Katrina was is insane. And this was one of them. 90 people. Like you come into a hospital with a hundred patients. Holy cow. Like,
1: yeah, the the first group that we lifted off was, um, high pregnancy, high pregnancy uh, mothers. Uh, they were all huge pregnant women and we loaded them in the, in the aircraft. And then out of nowhere, like when we, 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 we came in and we landed on the roof of, of what was in Baptist hospital. If you've ever seen the movie, uh, Benjamin Benjamin Button. You ever seen that movie? Uh, I have not. Ben- no. Okay, you got to watch the movie. But anyway, okay. it's the hospital that he was in. It's the hospital my son was born in. Oh, we have to excellent. There. Okay. Yeah, there. So we landed on the rooftop, and I jump out of the helicopter, and um, and these the, and a doctor and two nurses approach me. Of course, their heads still turn, and there's a, a variety of aircraft circling above this hospital. And I jump out of the helicopter and I and he comes over to me and he says, without, and these people, you could tell they had been there for a extended period of time. They looked rough. They were, you know, they were exhausted. And, um, and they said to me, how many can you take? And I said, <laughs> how many do you have? <laughs> and he pointed back to this corridor. And then through this corridor was wheelchairs lined with people. The first person was this, elderly black gentleman uh, that they were bagging. He had no toes. He had no fingers. It had been amputated, But he was coherent. He could see. He was, his eyes were moving around. And every four seconds, bagging full of air. Wow. So I said, uh, we can probably take, I think I, the flight mechanic was John Burns. So okay. I referred to John. John, how many do you feel comfortable with? And I think we took, I think we took seven or eight of the women and we took the gentleman and we, of course, we loaded him in first. And of course, then we had to bring in the, the, these poor pregnant women who I felt (laughs) terribly sorry for, you you know, I mean, you know, I mean, women who were pregnant, it's bad enough having a high risk pregnancy, but to be huge. With all yeah. that's going on in New Orleans, anyway, the stress of that, I'm surprised they weren't delivering them left and right just from the pure anxiety <laughs> and stress, you know. But, um, but then the, we got them on the aircraft and, and I took over bagging the patient and we lifted off and flew to New Orleans. When we got to New Orleans, we flew into, I mean, we got to Baton Rouge. Uh, the hospital we landed to was more than happy to take the female patients, but they would not take the elderly gentleman. They said, we, we can't handle it. And I said, well, I'm like, well, what do you want us to do with him?" They said, we don't know, but we can't take him here. So we go to another hospital and the nurse that's with us takes over bagging him. And I run in and I said, we got somebody out here that is in dire need of medical attention. I said, he's being bagged right now and he's not going to make it for much longer. Well, they said, we can't take him here either. Oh, my so God. I take off my flight helmet and I slam it against the wall. And I said, what the hell are you running around here? I said, we got a patient out here. And I said, we're gonna leave him in the parking lot because we've got other we've got other business to take care of. And of course, <laughs> we're gonna leave him in the parking lot. Right, no, no, no. <laughs> but that was the only card I had in the deck. Yeah. You know. Well shot cards. Yeah. So I, I slammed. So then they so then I get everyone's attention and then I'm thinking, oh my God, what am I done? Here? <laughs> I'm just trying to be a little dramatic, you know, but you know. Of course, I'm in my shorty wetsuit. I got my gear on, you know, yeah. looking pretty good, you know. Yeah. So anyway, so, but at the time I, I wasn't feeling, I was very distraught because I, we needed to get, we needed to offload this patient. That's not what we do. Right. We can't fly all over Baton Rouge trying to find a helicopter. I mean, a hospital is going to take this guy. Right. So, so finally a couple of, a couple of nurses or interns get in a cart. They scoot out there with us and they take the patient. And, they, and they, then they take him off our hands, and, which was a huge relief. Then we fly back to another place and we load in, incubators into our helicopter and we carry incubators back land and drop the incubators off at Oshner Medical Center. And as we made our approach into Oshner Medical Center, I saw something I'd never seen in this country before, something that totally blew me away. And if it wasn't serious enough seeing the city flooded, this got me numbered. At an overpass, under an overpass, there were hospital beds lined up with patients under this overpass. I had, and I thought I would never see that in this country. Wow! You know, you know that 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 really shocked me. That in this country that's so rich in everything, yeah, that we would we would have to do that. So we dropped off the incubators and then we went house hunting and through that, and you could see where these these huge holes had been ripped in these roofs. And we were literally lifting people out of these roofs and off of these balconies and things like that. Guns falling out of their pockets.
0: Jeez, you know, old man. On,
1: I mean really guns popping out, you know, falling into the deck of the helicopter and they weren't yeah. gonna shoot us. They weren't gonna rob yeah. us. They just wanted to get the heck out of there, you know. So, yeah. so we did that all night long. We I can't remember, I think we covered thirty two people that night. We we flew into the bag and headed back. And then a couple of days later, we came out and I got back on the plane again. And as I got back and and as I I was getting ready to go on the plane, I had these two super pilots from Miami. I don't remember their names, but one of them had been a prior special forces guy. And had been, I think, with the 160th in the Army. Okay. well, he came into the Coast Guard. Phenomenal pilot. That guy got in there. And he was, I I think we were, we were in a Bravo model. I think we were flying a Charlie model. So we were underpowered as it was. Okay. We got, he got in there. He manipulated those engines and he, those power restrictions and he just did a a unbelievable job getting us into some of those places. I got to tell you, it was for us. I've been thoroughly trained in direct deployment. So my job was the deployment, but it was a different animal for those guys up front. I got to tell you right now that the guys up front, you know, tremendous, tremendous, skill set. But anyway, we, we went move into this place and as we're getting ready to take off. This cameraman from the Discovery Channel says, Hey, I want to come on with you guys. You mind if we go and I and uh, and, and, uh, and, and the pilot says, Well, where do you want to go? He says, I want to go to the cloverleaf. But if you were in Katrina, you know that the cloverleaf was where we were dropping everyone off. And Got he it. said, Sure, jump on, we'll take it to the cloverleaf. Well, was we we're coming into New Orleans, East New Orleans, it's flooded. It's, that's that's the yeah. ninth ward down in there, you know. But pretty 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 nice houses out in East New Orleans. I mean, once you get further out, pretty nice homes. And as we become to New Orleans, you can see people waving flags outside their windows. So the pilot says, I can't leave these people in there. So we come into this one house, first house we go to. Oh <laughs> boy, he's got his camera rolling. You know, he's getting some good stuff. So. This, this man and his, well, I couldn't find out it was a man and his sister. And they were leaving out the window and they were waving at us. And the pilot briefs us on what we're going to do. So I hook up, go down for a direct deployment. And I, I was able to get down, I was able to get down and push myself off of the wall. I pushed myself off twice. And on the second push, I was able then to swing in and catch the window seal, the window ledge there. Yeah. Drape my leg over it. The person came over and asked me if they could take anything. And I said, not very much. What do you have? And I think they'd grabbed a bag of of clothing or yeah. something. Yeah. I immediately put the rescue strop on them. And and seeing that the, the plane was here, was up above us, but it was it was over and we were under a hang. Yeah. A hang. So I grabbed the person, gave the thumbs up, and as I began to see him take take slack. I just dropped out and we just went swung under the thing to get more of a vertical lift. Yeah. And that works fine. So we went up, got him, got, got her in, came back down. And when I got in the second time, I was heartbroken. They had a beautiful Rottweiler and they're with them. And he asked, he said, can we take the dog? And I said, I don't know how we'll do it. I said, I don't have anything here to lift the dog by. I don't know if it'll, bite my face off when we start doing this he said no problem so they he 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 had gotten him some water and some food and I just said to him I said I and of course when we we're were yelling this and I said I I pray you get back to him soon and he just kind of defeated looked defeated but he said okay so we got in the so we hooked up did the exact same scenario and lifted that but that that haunted me Yeah. The amount of animals that were left there. And I didn't realize that that. And and I don't I'm not I'm not saying that that lives weren't important, but people, you know, know, people love their animals. Right. So I felt that that really touched him. And then we moved on and we moved over and and we could see this thing sticking out of a roof. And as we moved over the scene, a woman was down inside an attic, but she couldn't get out. So they lowered me down and I got over on the attic and I initially tried to physically lift lift her up, but she was probably, I don't know, I'd say a, she was a kind of a heavy woman. I'd say 150, 160 pounds, and I just couldn't get the leverage to to get her out. I had to bend over too far. I couldn't use my legs at all to lift her out. It was going to be a back lift, so I'm thinking, how am I going to get her out of here? Yeah. So I call for the hoist. I call for the hook to come down. My flight mechanic. Rick Viggy, super skilled guy. I know Rick.
0: Oh, Rick Vig, super yeah. good guy. Yeah.
1: Rick phenomenal flight mechanic, big yeah. strong guy. And he we worked we worked even though I don't know that we'd ever worked together before, we worked great in unison that day. We could the training, man. Yeah. Doing it so much, you 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 could you had you I think you had done we had done just about everything in aviation that that there was no no threat, no, 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 nothing had ever been unturned. We'd done everything. So anyway, I think he understand my my dilemma that I was in. I I, I just couldn't get enough strength with my legs to lift her out. Yeah. I had to go too far in. And she I don't know what the heck she cut that hole with. Must have been up, but she had literally been in there all night long because her house was completely flooded all the way up into the attic and she was standing on something. But you know how attics are and attics are high now. Yeah. Yeah. Like I could never in the attic of my home, I could never get out of the attic of my home. So, so she, uh, was able to somehow or another cut a hole into this house. So I got the quick over, got it on her. She handed me a bag full of clothes. I lifted it up and set it on the thing. And they got the aircraft right over the top of us. And Rick slowly began to take attention on the, on the hook. And she began to lift out of there really slow, watching to make sure that she didn't, as I was protecting her, she didn't get any of these jagged edges yeah. because the wood was very jagged around there. Wow. And he began to lift her up, and she cleared. And once she got her, and once her, her her upper torso cleared, then I knew he had it. And then I just reached down, grabbed the bag, and up we went.
0: Wow! And
1: that was a very nice, you know. So we got her in the aircraft, and
0: then we continued to That's a good job around. on flight back. Flight, flight yeah, it was max. a great solid, job. Solid job.
1: Solid. The pilot, the pilot. I'm telling you, man, the skill set unmatched, unmatched anywhere. The guys are on board together and it's just because we do it so much that it becomes second nature. Yeah. You know, I would I would guarantee you it is so embedded in guys that guys could go back 15, 20 years after being retired and still do it. I, I would, I would, I would bet that, that there's not, there's not hardly any guys I, out there who did it for any length of time. Yeah. I'm not taking that because I, I know better. <laughs> I, I, I believe, I believe they could. Yeah. And um, so anyway, we continued to fly around that day. He got some excellent footage, which was eventually on the discovery channel. Nice. And nice. Uh, it was really great. And we landed at the clover leaf and dropped them, dropped those people off the clover leaf. They had ambulances there and everything. And, we went on and we had several more really, really good rescues that day. And I mean, coming in, I would, I would go on, I would, I'd learned that technique of kicking off and flying back into something. And Rick had learned it too. So we were really working in unison and recovering a lot of people that day. So I think that day alone, we recovered 26. <clears throat> and what we did, we landed with six out with five hours and 30 minutes, fueled up. And continued to fly the rest of that evening until uh, we had probably nine nine ten hours of flight time that one wow and then i flew two more days in in katrina got some excellent sar you know
0: is a you know it was super bowl of sar man yeah, well, absolutely was, but know, i would it, say it, well it was great to have you down there too as um you know as as one a senior chief a leader you know and to really select and direct to uh, you know, a lot of that. Cause I mean, you know, your name has gone really throughout the race. I mean, I know who you were uh, even, even as a young third with, with just coming out of school you're like, Oh yes, Jeff Tunks. Yeah. You know that name. Okay. <laughs> so to have you down there as somebody else that, that the younger guys can lean on and to look up to is, is a, you can't, you can't ask for someone better. So.
1: Well, I appreciate that. That's very nice of you to say. I, I felt really, like I said, man, I was, I was blessed with a career I had. I wanted to go in and, and be able to do some of the, the I mean, incredible things that yeah. I got to do, you know, and have the support for it. But I'm going to tell you something, man, you cannot say enough about, I mean, the rescue children's crew position is a very difficult place to get. I mean, going through the school, yep. it's not easy. It, it it sucks a lot of the time. I mean, it's a, a long process. It's it's there's a tremendous amount of anxiety as you go through the school. Yep. Uh, it, you're, you know, you're a, a day away from being reverted. You know, you really are. Yep. You, nobody wants to start over again. Nope. You know, uh, it's it's kind of like you know getting hit in the head, head with a hammer once, but all right, I. But then you know it's coming again yeah you know but yeah. and, and the, you know and I, I have all the respect for these new guys coming out and, and while the old breed you know we went through a lot and you know everybody gets their piece of everybody gets their own unique piece of the experience but but, um you know but and i'm and I'm, I'm 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 so appreciative of the fact now that that there's no more of this animosity When we were first coming into the right, there was was animosity. You know, it's just human nature. Human nature invaded what was right. It did. Human nature about everybody wanting their own piece of the pie. It invaded our our our, our clear
0: thinking. Right. You know, and uh, so. And a lot of people don't like change. You know. Oh, you know, if it's not if it's not broken, don't fix it. Well just because it's not broken doesn't mean you can't upgrade and make something better. And that's, that's what, you know, that's what the Coast Guard did. And it was a great move by Congress to make it, you know, to make that move. Um, and it was a great move by the Coast Guard to make it happen. And you guys that led the way, everything you guys did, it just made it awesome for us. Well,
1: it's, it's, so. it's incredible to know that the whole thing got started from the time of the, of the, of the, of the word to go down It got, it got ramped up and got going in two years. That's really something for a program like that. When it was met with, with um, gatekeeper after gatekeeper, after gatekeeper saying, you know, we don't need that here. We don't need that here. And they just kept pushing it. And, and, and we would, and, you know, we, when I was in Sitka, we first got there and we'd like, we're not getting any support here. We're not getting any support here. We're not getting any support here. Is the program going to survive? And, Oh, Larry Farmer would say, it's going to, don't worry, fellas, it ain't going nowhere. It ain't going nowhere. <laughs> and, we, and we were like, we're barely, we're barely surviving here. You know, we got snorkels on. The program has snorkels on right now. I'm like, no, it doesn't. It's much stronger than you think. So that helped a lot that we were being uh, supported there, you yeah. know, but it was a hard, uh, it was a hard road to go in, in, the, in the beginning you know, human nature, man, can sometimes destroy clear thinking, and and animosity, and, um, and, 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 I mean, it just, it just, it just did. Everybody wanted to be us. (laughs) Everybody.
0: (laughs) Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You hear it, you hear it, and that's okay, you know, uh, yeah, it's, it's not for everybody. You said it earlier, It, it is not for everybody to be able to do this job and, and not everybody can do this job. They're, it's you know. it's not for everybody. It's nope. it's not. It takes a it takes a unique skill
1: set. Swimming is the hardest skill set to find out there. Yeah. The, for someone to be that comfortable in the water, and to be able to, I mean, I, I'm 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 a little perplexed that they don't, you know, uh, go to swim meets to try to find yeah. future candidates. Yeah. Not that that's not that that's important, but in in swimmer school it is very important. I mean your ENT skills are vital. Yep. Your ability to package patients, vital. Your ability to do and while and while the, the AST rate itself, the AST job, it's not rocket science, it's still very very important. Life support gear is very important, really? you know. Um, yeah. And so but the rescue swimmer skill itself and being able to work in the water for extended periods of
0: time. I mean, it's, it's something that not everybody has, you know, it's not. Oh, incredible. Incredible. Like this. (laughs) You are so accurate with all of your statements. So I'll tell you what, Jeff, I have had you here with me for quite a while. Um, I don't want to take any more time, but if you have some words of wisdom, you would like to pass on, I, I know everybody would love to hear it.
1: <laughs> well, I would just tell everyone to appreciate every day, to appreciate the job you've been given to, to look at it as a privilege to never hurry the end, to appreciate your training, just to live in a world of, 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 of being, of, of, Of of being blessed because that's what we all are, yeah. And you know, and I'm going to tell you something. When you fly out on these missions, never think you're alone. There's going to be, you will always have somebody in there with you, and you have to believe this. I'm a firm believer. Like I said, that night, God didn't call the qualified. He qualified the call, and and I will always, I will go to my grave believing that, because. You know, it was it was it was the way it was. And then, and then I realized that all these things that make you have to dig deep are gifts from God. These challenges that, that you have to dig deep for to find reason for and to make them work and to and to write the book of your life. You know, that's that's what it's all about. And you know what? Everybody wants to read a
0: good book everybody wants and, to read a good book you know and, i mean you,
1: there's only some i mean people people recognize bs Maybe, right? yes right when it's the, when it's real uh there's you can't doubt it and and i and i think that that's the thing about a lot of good people who go into the coast guard regardless of your whatever rate you pick i mean it's amazing that if you'll listen to people who have been in the coast guard how the tales they'll want to tell they all revert back to it yeah. and even guys who went warrant and our rate, and who went over into the officer corps, they still look at their rescue swimmer world as the greatest time in the guard. Right. Even though they promoted out of it, they still look back at their days as rescue swimmers, and their and the and the little joy of the brotherhood there. Right. As some of the best days of their career, the most notorious days of their career. So, I would just tell everybody: feel blessed of where you're at. Uh, do the best job you can every day, going prepared every day. Take care of your equipment, support your fellow swimmers, you know, and have a great time. I don't think I ever laughed as much as I did my, my 30 years in the Coast Guard. I never met such knuckleheads, right? such funny guys. <laughs> I mean, uh... guys, that, I mean, the, the pranks, the, you know, so, but solid, solid dudes, man, solid dudes. So it was great being on with you today. I hope you got something out of this. And oh, hope it, absolutely! And, and good luck with your
0: podcast here. Well, hope thank you,
1: thank you very, very much. I, I think you're doing a great thing, and thank you. A lot of stories to be told.
0: Thank you. Uh, there are indeed, and and it's uh, it's guys like you that have the the old school stories that you know. A lot of the younger guys they they don't know this story, and to hear it firsthand for me is uh, and I feel blessed right now. So thank you. Well, thank
1: you. I was, Hey, I'm, I'm 46.
0: <laughs> I love it.
1: I love it. I'm 46 man. Out of a, out of now, it's a growing number and, yep. and uh, I feel good about being 46. I wish I was 46. I'm not anymore.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know yeah. what? Yeah. Once a swimmer, always a swimmer. There's nothing That's true, to, man. You're, true uh, man. You're never going to
1: lose it. <laughs> no, I mean, it's it's, 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 it's part of your DNA. Yeah, You know, to your, D, your DNA and uh, it's uh, such a big part of your life. But like I said, it was the guys, you know, the fun, the guys that you worked with every day. I mean, such I mean, they was so I mean, such serious guys, such skilled guys, great workers and funny, man, <laughs> funny. I'm not kidding you. I used to. I, had a, I mean, I, I go back and I think of guys like Sean Mogan. I don't know if you ever knew Sean Mogan. Tremendous guy. I mean he was a he was a bulldog i mean i would have gone into a fight with him i would have fought anybody with him by my side making sure he's gonna take over for me <laughs> jerry sanabi uh, jerry sanabi uh, skilled guy jerry sonabi is one of the smartest guys i ever knew um didn't know how to swim before. he went to rescue swimmer school didn't know how to swim I had to learn how to swim but when oh, you wow. saw him in the water man the guy was a machine in the water so uh, incredible yeah so i mean i can just go on with names. Uh, a guy named Ricky Blevich, um, a machine, a- an animal, an absolute beast. These guys were so.
0: Anyway, I'm sure you have. I'm sure you have them in your life too. You know, we. Guys you you know. know, there are a lot of guys that made a big impact in my life. There are still guys that are making impacts to my life, and I'm very thankful for everyone that I've met. Um, and th- this is around the world too. You know, there are guys that I've gotten tips and tricks of from Australia and New Zealand. Uh, up in you know up in europe it's just that we have such a similarity it's you just speak a little different language or your your tone is a little bit different here but we're all doing the same job and every one of us have the same mentality it's it's it is it's a tremendous network it is a
1: tremendous network that is in the search and rescue world you know that has come out and um i mean uh and when people hear that what you did, you know, they're always like, "Of course." I will say one thing. Well, the the, the Guardian was kind of a it was a it was a good movie. Yep. but, you know that did wonders for us. You know, because yep. the actual rescue scenarios were pretty good. Yeah, and, uh, and you know, but like they say, you know, some people make movies, some people make history. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, well, I mean, you have been history,
0: sir. <laughs> they, act, they act. They act what we do. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Well, thank you, sir. I really appreciate you coming on to the Real Rescue Podcast with me. It has been an absolute honor and an absolute privilege to have you. Well,
1: thank you. I was happy
0: to do it, and best of luck and best wishes always, okay? Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. All right. And with that, everybody, we are out of here. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Real Rescue Podcast. Please take a minute and like my daughters like to tell me, like and subscribe. Oh yeah. I'm pulling chocks and taking off. But before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story that they would be willing to share, I would be humbled and honored to have you as a guest. Or if you have any questions about any of the rescues or anything else that we talk about here on this podcast, send me an email. TheRealRescue at gmail.com. That's T H E R E A L R E S Q at gmail.com. You can also check us out on our Facebook and Instagram page at The Real Rescue. That's at T H E R E A L R E S Q. I also want to give a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today. Always remember that when that SAR alarm goes off, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. Until next time, fly safe and swim hard.